What's up, PlayStation Universe, and welcome to Wake Force's weekly PlayStation podcast, where we give you your PlayStation fix and all the relevant news that you care about and we care about. Mm-hmm. So we're going to talk. I'm joined. Well, before I even keep going, yeah, I'm joined I was with my introduction. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm joined with uh, senior editor of PlayStation Universe and one of Wake Force's co-founders, Kyle Prawl. How do you do, Will? Yeah, I'm doing good. I should probably say who I am too. My name is Will Robinson. I'm content producer for PlayStation Universe and also one of the co-founders of Wake Force. So we're excited to start kick off the series. We're going to talk about the big news, like I said, PlayStation yeah. games and stuff that's come out, and the games that stick out to us and that we want to talk about. Mm-hmm. One of the biggest news stories that came out this week and what's related to a game that's basically swept the entire game industry is Metal Gear Solid. Metal Gear Online just came out. Yes, I'm, uh, I'm, I'm, I'm in it right now. I'm, I'm running around this empty camp, free roam mode, or uh, free play mode? Yeah, the open world, yeah. the tutorial, <laughs> where, you, where you bide your time jumping from rooftop to rooftop while your match loads. <laughs> awesome. uh, and I mainly came back here because I played a couple of matches while we were getting this set up, and that was rough. Um, mm-hmm. It's not but, an easy multiplayer to jump into. No, yeah, it only took a, <laughs> it really only took thirty seconds for me to realize that because I was knocked out by by not a trank gun or a or a or a chokehold of all things by a D walker kicking me in the face. <laughs> Came around the corner. That hasn't happened to me yet. So yeah, I don't know if that's an advanced technique or if I'm just that bad and set myself up for it. But um yeah, it's I don't know, it's kinda interesting being back in the game right now after boy, what's it been? I, I guess I took Probably about a three-week break after finishing the story mode. And yeah, because you've been on Uncharted for the longest yeah, time. Yeah, yeah, I've been playing Nathan Drake the collection for a couple of weeks for the review, and then just playing it after the review for enjoyment. So yeah. kind of knee deep in that. Um, knee deep in The Witcher. I went back to The Witcher three to kind of refresh my memory or refresh my skills uh, leading up to the expansion, Hearts of Stone. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's going on. But yeah, uh, Metal Gear Online. Um, I think it's being it's being received pretty well by people so far, right? Other than uh, I, I hear a little bit of um, hubbub over microtransactions. I haven't delved into it myself and seen what that's all about. Yeah, I honestly I haven't seen that either, or I haven't paid attention to it because I like I'm just not going to pay money for the game anyway. So yeah, <laughs> I just yeah. want to play what's there. So so since you've heard about other people's opinions of the game, what do you what did you think of your first couple matches? In terms, like as a multiplayer expansion of a game, sure. Um, I, I mean, it's 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 nice to see the mechanics, um, controls, and feel of the single player just translate perfectly to multiplayer. Like from what I remember, there's absolutely no mechanical difference. I mean, usually there isn't in a game like this, but even something like Uncharted, going from single player to multiplayer back in the day, it, multiplayer was just a little bit looser, I guess, you know, like your sure. movement wasn't quite as weighty and you could make jumps that were slightly longer than in single player. So there's all these little ways they tweak it to kind of yeah. focus on. And I notice that you're a lot slower moving too in the online versus the actual game in terms of like just like general crouch walking and oh, sure, sure. it limits the, how fast you can move that way, which is probably for the best because of how if you're crouching and you're moving slowly, then you're not showing up on the radar. So that's probably... They probably have you going have you going as fast as you can without alerting people. And it also is um oh yeah, just by default putting you at that yeah. speed. It also probably feels slower to me, maybe maybe you, I'm not sure about your upgrades, but I know I had snakes running speed up to just absurdly yeah. <laughs> superhuman levels. Yeah, so I just I upgraded. Sprint that. feels slower for sure, but that's to be expected because he was moving at like bionic speed <laughs> by the by the end of the game. So, so. what game modes 
Have you only tried <laughs> one game mode, or have yeah, you tried I've only a couple? done. Um, uh, let me let me open the map quick. See what the bounty hunter, the 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 basic, you know, uh, claiming tickets, reducing mm-hmm. uh, the opposing team's tickets. Yeah, and like I said, got Fulton right away in my first match. In the second match, got, um, sent some trank darts at a guy. Was hoping it would knock him out, but his buddy um, grabbed me from behind while I was doing that. <laughs> so that. that fell apart pretty quickly but yeah i mean from a first impression it's definitely something i'm going to play or play around with some more uh i want to at least experience what it feels like to have heroes show up in my match like snake and ocelot oh yeah uh, I and, totally I, and I, I think there's a big potential for well well really the, like the promise of the trailer you know the promise of the trailer to have this coordinated team experience where you're sneaking into the fort um where everyone's got their role to play mm-hmm. it's not really about heroics it's about coordination I, I, I want to at least play enough of MGO that I can see for myself whether that's true or not. You know what I mean? Right. Like, if it is true, I say great, but then, okay, what, how much preparation do you need to make that a reality? Because with something like Destiny, that that ideal world of having six people going into the, your raids, your vault of glass, um, your house of, den of wolves, house of wolves. Like that's mm-hmm. that's that's great. That's amazing. That's the way the games are meant to be played. But it's kind of a barrier of entry. So, right. I have a feeling Metal Gear is going to kind of be the same way, where you can't really get the premium experience without like twelve of your friends all playing it at the same time. Yeah, I kind of felt that way too. Or is that it's going to be? Well, like there's one there was one game mode that really interested me. Interested me that I didn't get a chance to play yet. I only did the same game mode that you were talking about, which we can explain in a little bit better and mm-hmm. more detail how that works but there was another one where it's just uh non-lethal like infiltrators all trying to get into this area and capture something i can't remember exactly but then it's defended by a team that's fully lethal like fully lethal so it's just like a, scr- a group group of fully stealth guys that can't hurt them trying to infiltrate in this kind of defended area okay and it's that to me immediately just from the f- little bit i played was that Lethal is exceedingly easier than non-lethal play. Sure, yeah. So it's like that is going to be an interesting thing to see, and I don't see that being really successful until people have gotten a long time to play the game and understand how to best approach it, or you have those teams like you're talking about where you have a fully inter- like a, a full team that's in full communication with each other that can coordinate on the fly and be able to... Like to do, everybody knows their specific job and how to get through there. Yeah, and you've like got your guy who's going to be doing the non-lethal, and you got your guy who's going to be calling the shots from a sniping position. Yeah, so it's going to be that's it's definitely a, it's not an easy multiplayer to jump into, and it's, it's not going to be for everyone. Even more no. so than single player, this is going to be something where you know if you if you, if this just if this isn't the multiplayer experience you're looking for like if you're not already predisposed for something that's a little left to center i just, i don't think you're going to like it to be honest but. yeah it's going to it's it's going to be one of those things too where it's i feel like if you're not somebody who's jumped into it from the beginning and kept with it it's going to be one of those that's going to turn a lot of people off that are kind of late comers to the game yeah when they want to yeah. jump in cuz it's going to be the it's i i yeah. personally feel like it's going to be one of those really hardcore multiplayer communities that just gets to a certain point where it's just like it's not fun for anybody who's starting off right. new. Yeah, it becomes insular and all these other things. Yeah, and especially cool. there's a huge, there's pretty much a huge self-inflicted handicap on anybody who's a new player versus older ones because your your la- your loadout is so limited. 
I don't think it'll be. Yeah, I think it'll. I think it'll shape out to be exactly like Metal Gear Online in um, Guns of the Patriots before it, where it's the same kind of thing, right? It was tried by many people when it first came out, mm-hmm. and then a few years down the line, you know, as as writers, as people who play a lot of different video games, we hear, oh, they're shutting down servers. Well, that's that's okay. I mean, who <laughs> plays that game still? But right. then there's like this tiny. I shouldn't say tiny per se, but just this really enthusiastic group of fans who was like, "No, they're shutting down the servers." No, and I'm like, "Oh, oh, oh okay." I didn't. All yeah, right. you guys are still playing this, I guess. So. Right. Yeah, I think I played only like three or four matches of that back in the day, and I was like, "This is interesting." Yep. And that was pretty much as far as I went. But and it was this... also on the PS3, where yeah, you know, the network experience and and the hit detection and and all these other things were so so <laughs> right. different. I mean, even grouping for parties was. It was was practically impossible, right? Like, but yeah, it's like. But in terms for Metal Gear Online, since we kind of haven't really, we've only been hypothesizing about certain things really up to this point. But for what is there and what I've seen and played, so it's like the basically the biggest thing going for Metal Gear Solid Five is its gameplay, and that's just like amazing that the gameplay in that is just so smooth and so well done. Yeah, and that is basically untainted when you go into the multiplayer experience which is really good but it also means that everybody you're playing against has that same range of ability as you do in the single player which totally changes how you play the game which is kind of weird when you think about it cuz like the enemies that you're going against in the game they don't they're they're stupid for like lack of a better word compared to real life players or it's just Cer- like yeah certainly so yeah, it's they- like it's much it's it's almost disarming when you jump into the multiplayer because you're playing against other people who know how to play the game like you do. So it's like, it's not just you lining up headshots on guards who don't even know you're there, but it's all and these it's, different people who know how to sneak up on sneak up behind you and who have sniping positions and all these different things. And, and it's not like a shooter where you're just fighting faster, smarter versions of... You know what I mean? Where right. it's like, okay, you go from Call of Duty single player to Call of Duty... Multiplayer, you've essentially just cranked it, cranked up the speed by eleven, and the players are capable of hiding, unlike the NPCs. Right. But there are similarities. Whereas here, it's, it, yeah, the dynamic is completely different. So, so but yeah, the the game mode that both of us have played, which uh, I'm trying to think of the name of that again. What did you say it was? Bounty Hunter. Bounty Hunter. Yes. So that one with the ticket mode. If, if people don't know about that. You have two different teams that go against each other. You can pick your loadout, whatever you want to be, if you want to be lethal or non-lethal. You start with a certain number of tickets, which is a number kind of up in the corner of the screen that shows how many each team has. And every time somebody gets killed, that team loses a ticket. But if somebody on the other team... So if if somebody on your team kills someone on the other team, they get a number that goes on top of their head that shows how many opponents that they've killed. And if on that person on that opposing team knocks them out instead of killing them and Fulton extracts them from the game you get all of the tickets that they've accumulated from the kills they've had and then that gets added to your team's score which can totally change the momentum of the game which is I think is a really cool mechanic idea yeah I mean it makes it you know it's it's that means it's going to be it's going to be that much easier for dominant teams to really really take control of the match but it's also that much easier for teams falling behind to suddenly get their shit together even though they may not do so yeah but the, the chance is always there it could turn around in an instant um which is rare i mean so often you get the momentum going in any competitive game and that usually spells doom you know <laughs> yeah 
So it's but it's a, it's just a new unique kind of take on it where it's lethal is clearly more difficult to pull off or non-lethal is clearly more difficult to pull off in those kind of in those matches, but it has a huge reward to it and I think that's something that a lot of seriously competitive players in the uh, Metal Gear Online community are going to try to exploit and they're going to try to get really really good at it. Yeah. So that because it's it's lethal was I was getting mowed down by a lot of people who just had assault rifles running around and because basically all you start out with is the Wu pistol and like if and it's almost impossible to really just get a headshot on a moving player because they know well, what you're trying to do and, it's and the like, dart travels so slowly. Yeah. <laughs> so it's like it's it's a much more difficult thing, but it's yeah. I mean they they definitely re- reward your hard work in the game, so that's pretty cool. Um, but yeah, I think both of us are going to look forward to playing a little more of that. We'll probably actually play together a little bit, and we might we'll put a video of our kind of experience up sometime later on that you guys can check out mm-hmm. so you can see for yourself. Continuing off the idea of big multiplayer games, the Star Wars Battlefront beta just came out this week as well, which is a huge resounding uh, I mean, success i'd say from a lot of people that are getting to play it you can yeah i don't think i've heard i mean you've got little pockets of i wouldn't even use the word negativity here and there more like apprehension maybe on a few points you know what i mean but i think it's over, been overwhelmingly yeah. positive and it's also <clears throat> been one of the smoothest beta launches or one of the smoothest beta operations like i really really thought when they were going to launch this sucker it was going to be offline until like you know, they launched it Thursday morning to midday, depending on what time zone you were in. Yeah. And right away you could jump into it. Thursday night it was great with everybody getting home from work. I had no issue whatsoever. It's been the same thing Friday nights. Um, it's just awesome. Like, I, yeah. I, you would think that it's just polluted with people getting into it. But I found this. So, so, so we're obviously going to talk about the, the game itself and how it feels. And we're both mm-hmm. huge, huge Battlefront fans from back in the day, which were certainly not unique in that respect because the games were that popular. Right. Um, I loved it. I loved my yeah. time with the game. I think I played about um, probably a dozen matches or so mm-hmm. across pretty evenly spread across Solus and Hoth. And, uh, you know, I'm not going to... This is an interesting thing for me because despite how much I loved the old games and usually knowing my personality... Having that vision in my head says to me, "Okay, I know what I I know what Battlefront is in my head, right?" And so now I'm going yep. into the game expecting that. For whatever reason, that didn't apply this time. Probably because it's been so much time, and it's a completely different studio, developer, publisher, everything. Like it has nothing mm-hmm. to do with the old games in a sense. So I was able to just kind of enter, assuming that the basic format was there, but then no other real expectations and. I think I'm. I was pleasantly surprised by how, um, in how in some ways it does feel like the old games. It feels like the old games in the sense that you don't have the typical first-person shooter iron sights. You know, it just yep. kind of you get that zoomed-in view, or then if you're in third person, it just you know shifts closer over your shoulder, yep. which it did in the original games. Um, there's you can take more hits than your average shooter. You know, there's a chance you could get behind a rock and survive and. Yep. Run away your health back. Um, headshots are not instant kills, but they're just that much. It's a huge chunk of damage. So it's yeah, it's just got a, a a bit of this kind of old school sensibility to it. 
but then again, you're still in first person, and, and it feels like a like a very modern game. Like, cause it looks fantastic. It feels like like a like a weightier, slower battlefield. Yep. Um, and third person, you know, I the the best thing I can say about the game's two viewpoints is that as much as I love third person because it's nostalgic to do that, I have no problem playing in either. And honestly, I just kept switching back and forth, and as I was playing the beta, and I'm like. I, I kind of like elements of both of this, you know? Like, first person is a, a little more elegant and controls just a little bit better, I would say, and probably is the way to go for close quarters. But then, zooming out to third person, even in some of the more open areas of Solus, I was like, this is totally fine, and I actually kind of like the slightly expanded field of view. I can duck behind this crate and versus first person, where I'm just, like, staring dead smack into this sheet metal. Mm-hmm. Out in third person, I can kind of peek around the corner a little bit and kind of see to my right a bit and make sure they're not flanking me. So there's reasons to do both. Yeah. And yeah, I don't know. That's so that's that's kind of my 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 word vomit about Battlefronts. <laughs> but uh I think you you had a lot of the same feelings, right? We were playing coffee the other day and it sounded like we were both um very positive on it. Right. Yeah. So the I'd say kind of the both things that we agreed on is like the best things it's got going for it, which admittedly is a lot right now. Uh, biggest, I think, biggest thing for me is like it just got the world right, like mm. the environment-wise and like the set pieces yeah. of, the, especially in Hoth and like the sound and everything. Like it, that was like it's, it's like the best war reenactment that never happened. Like, <laughs> like it's just like this cool, like the most iconic war in like entertainment history. Like the set piece that they've just like fully brought you into that, and it's just a really cool experience just being in there yes so yes. but i mean that the first couple times when you're in there that's kind of how you feel about it then it slowly kind of fades a little bit as you play because you're start getting used to it and you just start but focusing it on the gameplay and like, yeah you start oh. yeah you you're start being able to kind of see more clearly what's going on around you after the first couple games and you know getting to, used to it to your point there i want to echo your sentiment about the how it nails the the aesthetic of the series and what you expect Star Wars to be because mm-hmm. this kind of goes back to something that we kind of were privy to at E3 in um, 2014. So this was last, not not this most recent right. E3, but, but when we first saw Battlefront with its teaser trailer, right, it was like, you know, mostly concept footage and concept video. Yeah, I think uh, that, they, was, they, that was the trailer that just had the Battlefront yeah. in the snowy field and then the big right. AT-AT foot hit the ground and... But they, but I do think they talked about um, this technique, and I, I think it's called photogrammetry. Okay. Where they take, and they, and they, and like they said it to us at the time, they have full access to all the props and objects yep. and things from Lucasfilm and now Disney, and through this fairly modern rendering technique, they can essentially just take that three-dimensional physical object and have the computer reproduce it. Yeah, and and obviously the results look stunning when they showed it to us in that concept video. But seeing that in action in the game, and to be fair, it's hard to tell what is photo photogrammatized and what isn't. Mm-hmm. But it, and I think I was telling you this yesterday. It's it's everything from you know climbing the hill in Solus to that ship with its folded wings, seeing that ship kind of tower on the horizon, seeing the way shadows cast over crevices and outcroppings are just these it's a really vivid contrast between light and dark mm-hmm. you know the shadows are, are are super dark super black 
and it just feels like the movies. And I started to think specifically to Phantom Menace, um, Attack of the Clones, and Revenge of the Sith because those more so had these super high resolution models, and and you could make out you know the details and shadows better. Mm-hmm. But yeah, the, I mean, it just really feels like you're watching the movie and that's you know to say nothing of the animations which right really yep. the deal. i was just gonna say about that too yeah or you're spe- specifically more in, that you get a feel for it in the beta is in the tatooine mode where you're playing against the the npc stormtroopers where they just kind of come at you in waves is that they're for, for one thing that mode is extremely easy in the beta that it they is. allowed but it also what they do is they have the animations like perfectly replicated in terms of like how you would see stormtroopers like the actors in the movies as stormtroopers how they would move how they would position themselves the falling animations and everything it just looks it looks like this yeah and i even yeah and i said this in my preview from this past e3 in 2015 when we were there and i got to play it or it just felt like it felt like there were actors in the game just like in front of you like real life people were just like in the game and it was just like i've never seen a game that made me think that before where it was like just watching that happen and fall it just it literally felt like you were in you were playing one of the movies yes and i, comple- I completely agree like no, that's no disagreement there. it's just insane how they're able to do that but it is the, uh, you know i, I want to temper the positivity just a bit though and, and kind of talk about you know the game feels great, and and we didn't even mention how I thought there was a very uh, there's a very gentle barrier of entry. Like like right mm-hmm. away, I, I felt like I could get in the matches and be competitive and and take it slow. I honestly thought that taking it slow, surveying the surroundings, creeping up into outcroppings rather than sprinting out into the open, yep. just just did wonders for me. Being able to get the jump on people and kind of let them rush into a situation yeah because i think a lot of people are you can you can tell a lot of people that are going into this beta are initially approaching it as a normal shooter which it's very much not it's a totally different kind of game absolutely where it's like well you talked about how it being slower than most other games and i had mentioned this to you the other day talking about how basically i think the reasoning behind that for them to kind of slow down the momentum of the game was because that they were focused on replicating the weapons from the movies, which are like the different blasters and all that kind of stuff, and how those projectiles travel a lot slower than normal guns and the bullets. and like So it, it they kind of needed to force the... Because you wouldn't want to have somebody that's sprinting around at full speed like in other shooters, sure. but the guns are firing at half the speed and the half the rate. Agreed. And those, so it's like they had to completely like take everything back down a little bit. And it's that's another point to the, their accuracy in recreating the movies where there isn't that they don't run out they, there's no like constant like running towards each other and like huge like epic gunfights where they're just like sprinting around and they're doing it's all very much a cover system like if you see the movies they're very you sure. see the firing kind of come down everybody takes their positions up they go after it it's it's like how you would expect it to play out so it's they yeah. do a good job there but it is a lot slower and it's something that you have to adjust to but it all that kind of slowness of it does allow an easier kind of entry into the series or into the game where you're trying to play it and get used to the gunplay so which really is i mean even given all that it's it's still kind of astonishing that they do manage to make like hoth can feel chaotic in the sense that 
there's literally laser shots all over the place, right? Yep. And, and like you're not even like there are times when I'm out in the middle of the field and I'm just kind of paralyzed. So I'm like, uh, nobody's shooting at me, but there are a lot right. of trails of fire. Tie fighters coming yeah, crying yeah. past your head, and then you just see them exploding in front of you, and like. I, I, but I, I do want to say I'm not a fan of the way the game organizes its content. So I, I sure. And what I, what I, yeah. So I guess what I mean by that is is the tile system when you jump into, you know, you hit multiplayer and you more like pick it's it's weird cuz it almost seemed like they were they, they it wasn't separated by game modes and maps or like game modes and then you pick your map. It was like all on the same screen, right? Mm-hmm. So you could do drop zone on Solus, you could do um trying to think what the the larger mode is on Hoth. Uh, and then you can see there were others that are blocked out for the beta, but it's it's it, it seems like a if if we're if, if if everything we're seeing there is the extent of the game and like all those icons currently locked are just going to open up in the final version, mm-hmm. it doesn't strike me as a lot of content and certainly not very many unique planets. Yeah. So 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 yeah, it just kind of it just kind of struck me as a little odd that the the, the game modes and planets were kind of combined in one screen. And then even beyond that, it didn't seem like very much because you think if they're going to put them all in one place, like all the possible combinations, it would be extensive, or you'd have to scroll through it at least. Mm-hmm. That's not the case. So yeah, and especially since they're not having, they're not allowing for any kind of single player. There's no single player campaign in the game, mm-hmm. which for a lot of people, I imagine, is going to be an immediate turnoff. Sure. For yeah. that, which is fair enough, because it's like I, I personally would have loved to have seen a single player campaign of in the Star Wars universe where it's the original yeah. Battlefronts didn't have them either. So I mean that's you can say yeah, they're being consistent yeah. in that, but they had the uh Galactic yeah, Conquest exactly. and those kind of yeah, things. So yeah, it sounds it seems like there's gonna be a little bit of that. I don't know how much they're gonna be doing, but there is the they have the wave uh game modes kinda like yeah. in or the like the one on Tatooine where you can do that cooperatively, either online or you can do split screen locally with, I think, only two people. I think is what it goes up to. Mm-hmm. But uh, so, like, those are those are nice for the people who don't want to constantly be online with everybody else. But it's yeah, we'll see. And definitely, we know that Battle of Jakku uh, is going to be that that big chunk of DLC kind of front loaded. So at, at at best, we can hope for maybe one of those a month, or just to have kind of a steady stream of of content releases. Mm-hmm. So I think overall it was really. I think we enjoyed our time with the what we got to play. We did it. It was a really good time. It was. I'd say they nailed the atmosphere of the game perfectly from what I saw in terms of what I wanted to see from a, a new Battlefront. The gameplay was easy to jump into. Um, I don't. The vehicles were kind of iffy to me. I wasn't totally sold on them, but I want to spend more time in it. So yeah, I guess. That's kind of where we both stand on it, I would say. Yeah, very positive. Kind of wish it was going to run longer. <laughs> right, yeah, that's interesting. That I guess they're just doing so well. They probably would have extended it if it was being more problematic, I would assume. But since yeah, it's and they, such and a success, they, they don't really need to. And they had a couple weeks of closed beta before this, I know. So they've got yeah. all the data they need, I'm sure. Hmm, yeah. All right, so let's move on to the consoles themselves. And what I mean by that are the so there was some big news for PS4 and PS3. Let's start with the older brother first. And 
talk about some news is interesting that PS3s are finally starting to be discontinued. Mm, they got the announced. End of an era. Yep. So New Zealand is the first to stop producing anymore. So there's a article that was written by our own news powerhouse, Michael Heritance. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And he did an article that was provided, the sourced by those gamers, that uh, gives a quote that Sony Computer Entertainment in New Zealand will not be shipping any more PlayStation 3 consoles to its retailers. However, the platform is still available in retail outlets throughout New Zealand and being supported with peripherals, great new releases, and back catalog software. So what do you think of that? It's the first time that this is being announced where PS3 is no longer continuing. Well, the last bit of that quote means absolutely nothing to me, because if they were going to pull the back catalog, it'd be essentially just nuking the platform. (laughs) Pretty much. (laughs) But don't worry, it's still being supported by all the games that have already come out. (laughs) Yep. Um, What does it mean to me? Uh, It is is the beginning of, of... Let's beginning of the end isn't the right way to say it. It's the beginning of the beginning of the end because it's going to take a really long time for this to reach mm-hmm. all territories and both yeah Japan and the U.S. are going to be the last territories that this that this matters right. to because it's not um, like New Zealand is like their main like sure, outlet sure. for PlayStation Three stuff, but it's a clearly it's an important area, but. Yeah, and it does speak, and I think it does speak as well to, you know, this isn't a decision solely made on the context of, oh, it's had its 10-year life cycle, and now we can kind of retire it, and that's okay. I think it more speaks to the strength of PS4 selling beyond Sony's, well, frankly, probably beyond their wildest expectations, as high as those may have been to start with. So seeing that, that rapid success, I think New Zealand, small as it is, is a perfect territory to start and say, okay, what happens when we take the old console off the market because the PS4 is selling incredibly well mm-hmm. and there's still presumably a handful of people each week buying a PS3 in New Zealand so we take that off the market do we do we see PS4 sales get a small boost from people saying okay well I wanted a game console and I can't get the 3 so I'm going to get the 4 sure uh, right so I think I think it's a perfect small territory where it's low risk for them because there's not going to be a serious penalty of, of people coming back at them with negative sentiment. Yeah. Um, whether they do or don't, whether PS4 sales get a boost or people just say, oh, well, fuck, I guess I'm not getting a game console now. <laughs> it's still just New Zealand, right? Yeah. In that disparagingly, but from a business sense, it's it's low risk for Sony. Yeah, I wouldn't think that it's going to start spreading to other territories for a couple of years until it, yeah, starts, I don't until it starts really going on the kind of a decline in terms of sales and availability it's going to be. And yeah. we don't even know how many they still have, like, stored, you know, that right, have been right. made that are still kind of waiting to be sold. Yeah, so it's, and, and this and could yeah, really not be that big of an impact in terms of the sales figures for a while in New right. Zealand. Yeah, so. we don't know about, you know, the, they could have had a huge surplus manufacturing in New Zealand, and they're just going to let the let them buy out, buy out the stock and not, not manufacture anymore. So I do think, I, I think the... The death of PS3 will probably happen quite a bit faster than the death of the PS2. I oh, think for it ha- sure. Yeah. I think it has a much shorter tail ahead of it, and I, and I think that's partly to thank for both the PS2 being a better selling platform and a more popular platform, mm-hmm. but also because the PS4 is the the more popular platform. Yeah, and it's getting a lot of the best games from PS3 moved yeah. over to it. So it's like that's something that the PS3 did not have starting out with the PS2 games. Like there weren't games like 
Like right now, The Last of Us and the Uncharted Collection have both been ported over. Yeah, it's, it's the beginning of the beginning of the end, and I think yep. PS3 will fade out faster than PS2 did, but, you know, on the, on the uh, astronomically rare chance that someone is listening to this and doesn't own a 3 or a 4, <laughs> um, and you really, really want the 3 for some reason, for the value perhaps, uh, yeah. you, still, you still got a little time, but not... Uh, probably not four or five years. Yeah, and you're also losing more, with another story that came out. You're also losing some incentive of having the buying a PS3 because it's cheaper because the PS4 for its great value is now going to be getting a price drop as well uh, by fifty dollars. It's good times. Yeah, so that's going to be coming sooner than we think, is what it says, according to our article. Another article by Michael Herodens. Uh, saying that the a Target retailer saying that the system is list it was listed at fifty dollars cheaper than the standard three ninety nine ninety nine asking price and more retailers have come out since then saying that basically confirming that the PS4 is going to be getting a fifty dollar price drop. Mm-hmm. So that's even though I mean it's it's kind of hard to imagine that there aren't people that who wanted to buy a PS4 that don't already have one, given how wildly successful it, the system is. Like, it's it's outpacing the PS2 at its current point in its life cycle for sales. Right, Now, right. That, that's I don't, not necessarily meaning that it's going to sell more than PS2 in the long run, but it's definitely making history in terms of game console sales, so... And just the acceleration of it, yeah. yeah but for any of those last people holding out, <laughs> $50 price drop is going to be a... Pretty big incentive, I would think, especially for the holiday season that's coming up. Yeah, and that and that's that's the point that I want to expand upon because my recommendation to somebody who doesn't own the four yet and is stoked by this price drop and is like, oh, now's the time. It's it's three fifty. Don't buy it. Wait for the Black Friday bundles for four hundred dollars <laughs> with a crap load of games. Yeah, because that's going to be the real value here. The fifty dollar drop from the base console to a slightly cheap, cheaper base console is great, but what's more exciting about that to me is that it's a signal for what's coming. So don't be surprised if Black Friday comes along and you see a $400 PS4, which, cool, great, except it comes with Grand Theft Auto, The Last of Us, and the Nathan Drake collection. You know what I mean? Or you get $400 bundles of special colors and special designs within the next six months. Um, Right. So definitely, I mean, it's it's awesome, awesome news, but that's totally my recommendation to someone who doesn't own it yet. It's like, we're so close to November. Yeah, and especially all the deals. The deals for the games themselves, or a lot of the games that have come out the last few years that are already down to $35, $40. Yeah, sure. Big games like Dragon Age Inquisition and the Shadow Shadow of Mordor and mm-hmm. a lot of big games like that that are just like oh man, I mean that you what you just a, said, I mean that's a great you could have um a pretty sick RPG bundle where you have the PlayStation oh, 4 God, yeah. with Dragon Age, um sorry and even, the, sec, the second game you said Shadow Dragon, of Mordor yeah Dragon Age Shadow of Mordor and The Witcher Three you know? yeah Witcher we'll Three and, some popular or you got your Bloodborne your Yep. Kill Zone Shadowfall because why not? And Batman's going to be out. I think yep. Batman's going to see, like it's like you said on Black Friday, it's going to see a price drop too. It's Metal Gear Solid will probably see a little bit of a price drop by then on Black Friday. So it's like there's a the catalog for PS4 is just only getting better, and it's already got a pretty good install. Up on us too. Yeah. Like if you would, and, and I had these inner monologues in my head back in. Probably, you know, probably January or last holiday season thinking 
yeah, you know, I love I love my PS4. It's it's a great system, but you know, I was thinking of the the games I would wholeheartedly be like, boom, system seller, boom. If you get one, you have to get this. And yep. there wasn't a whole lot there for anyone other than enthusiasts. Yeah. But now it's like all out of nowhere, all of a sudden, whoa, what? We had Bloodborne, Metal Gear, The Order, um, Witcher, Batman, The Witcher, the Nathan Drake collection, all in all in this one year. We're gonna have Fallout and Battlefront. By the time the year is over, yep. Early next year, we're gonna get Uncharted Four, hopefully. So yeah, I mean, I I think we're officially we're officially clear of a must-have system point. You know, there yeah. is no matter what your taste is, if it's RPGs, if it's sports, if it's adventure games. Yeah, I mean, to, whether it's action adventure like Uncharted or point-and-click adventure like Broken Age, mm-hmm. like there is something for you. So yeah, and then one of the other games that we didn't even mention is. Uh, Far Cry 4, and there's yes. some cool Far Cry news that just got announced. It's one of the big, probably one of the biggest stories in terms of a new game announcement is Far Cry Primal, which yes. totally surprised everyone, I would say. Yeah, and it I was so. something. It, it uh, a few days ago, from when we're recording this, uh, there was a leaked image on the IGN Turkey Twitter feed showing this just like crazy thing that said Far Cry Primal and everybody's like what are you talking about and then they had to take it down immediately but it was too late everybody already got all the news they wanted off that <laughs> yeah and it basically kind of forced the hand whether this was the plan or not that next the next day an official launch trailer came out for Far Cry Primal and officially naming it what it is yes so and we both watched the trailer and I'll let you start off with your thoughts on it um so it's an Ubisoft trailer for for better or for worse mm-hmm. it's um as the trailer, it's, it's it's very slickly produced. Um, it bounces back and forth between the kind of CG gameplay that helps set tone and what's probably actual gameplay to to to, to help demonstrate it as more than just a proof of concept. I, I tend to think, you know, when you when you really nail that line, I'm trying to think of a good example of a trailer that kind of expertly combines. Deus Ex might be a good example, right? Deus Ex has done, or specifically for Mankind Divided, has done CG trailers that do a really good job of setting the tone and then mm-hmm. the set and the story, the the atmosphere of this environment. Uh, and I think Far Cry Primal's trailer does that very much. It's a really cool setting, prehistoric with the spears and the um the, the God, what is it? The mammoth elephants. The the the, the saber tooth, yeah, yep. The saber tooth tigers. So it's a great setting, and the trailer did a great job of that. But in classic Ubisoft fashion, there's not enough gameplay to 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 really sell it for me yet. You know, it's one of yeah. those things where Ubisoft has 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 burned consumers far more frequently than we would like in terms of of glitches and unfinished releases. And how does it feel? Now, to be fair, Far Cry has never been the example of that. I'm, I'm specifically going towards Assassin's Creed, Watch Dogs. Mm-hmm. Far Cry has actually always been the the, the most polished of, of their franchises, I think. Yeah, I would agree. So, yeah, that's not to say I don't have faith in the game at all. I would have liked to have seen more gameplay in the trailer, and specifically because some of the animations, like the Sabretooth Tiger rolling around and dodging the spear, looked way too good to be <laughs> the real game in yeah. action. And that's where you start to get a little duplicitous when you show something that looks like gameplay, but someone with keen eyes can point to it and go, "Yeah, I don't think it's gonna look like that." Right, and it's 
especially too like it, normally when announcements like this come out it's meaning that okay the year the game is going to be a year or two away it's got some time to really kind of flesh it out and show us more stuff so it's it's just a little thing to tide us over but the game is coming in february 2016 yeah like that's and we nobody knew about this and that's really really soon so it's like for them they'd have to they almost have to like next week you'd expect them to have like a gameplay trailer already because of like just how close the deadline is for this and it's like they must have been working on this non-stop since uh four or had a team of people that have been just continuing it so it's like and yeah i mean ubisoft constantly um beats our best expectations of how quickly they can make a game partly because they they just harness so many global studios to work on it simultaneously yeah it reminds it actually kind of reminds me of like a it's like a real world example of PS3's um, folding at home cell process, you know? Like, how many development studios can we tap to work on the same thing simultaneously and finish yeah. in record time? So that's totally their process. Um, yeah, you know, it's it's a weird... It's weird that it's coming so soon. I won't begrudge them the date, because I think it's a great time of year to release. Oh, for sure, like, yeah. You're clear of the holiday swing, and people, the enthusiast gamers are going to be looking for something in late January, mid-February to play after that swing mm-hmm. you know you can imagine most people will probably be getting their fill of fallout probably be getting their fill of battlefront by that time and boom right there in february is far cry primal which will hold you over until uncharted 4 and and the, the, the spring swing yeah so it's yeah it's a smart move and I, I have less reason to think that far cry primal will be a technical disappointment than I would for their other franchises. So I'm optimistic. I, it, the game looks great, and I think it was probably time for them to go in a, I guess you could say, a radically different direction with their setting and stuff. So Yeah, and I do really kind of like this approach. It kind of seems like a new... I don't, I don't want to say Renaissance movement is kind of strong for that, but it's a new kind of transition for games where a lot of people are like, a couple of years ago, it's like, okay, we need to go way into the future. Everything's futuristic. Everything's really awesome. Now they're all taking a complete opposite 180 from that and going back to, yeah. like, Horizon was shown where it's, like, old school, but it's... Yeah. yeah, so it's, like, all old school kind of tech, but it's gotten really, obviously, highly advanced stuff. It's kind of, it's reached the point where it's kind of funny where it's, like, it's gone futuristic and post-apocalyptic games have been kind of, like, the big fad the last few years, and now it's getting to the point where it's going, like, past like that and it's like society restarting or it's going back to the beginning of society and it's it's an interesting trend and I've like how it's kind of just totally changing up the atmosphere for games but we got another story that was an interesting thing or studio decision working on something but instead of being a game that's going to be coming out next year or it might be coming out next year we've heard about it the formal announcement two three years ago now <laughs> and we still don't know when it's coming out, and that's Kingdom Hearts three. This is just the class. This is just the byline for the series as a whole, though. Pretty we heard much. about it. Yeah, we don't know anything more than that. So both of us are huge Kingdom Hearts fans. Yes. And there was an interesting quote that came out from a n- different article that had from an interview with Games Radar. Tetsuya Nomura was talked talked about. Uh, the game, and there's a possibility of a new hero that would be joining Sora in the game, and it was it was interesting. You're talking about having another character, and then he had this quote from them that says, quote, it's a secret, but saying that we imply that maybe something's going on, 
We can't disclose anything, but maybe something will happen there. <laughs> so that's just a whole lot of absolute nothing. It's a whole, yeah, and that's clearly a not why we would have taken the time out to talk about this, because there's nothing there. More interesting sure. quote was later on where he said, talking about the game franchise as a whole and talking about Kingdom Hearts 3 the pro- making it, and he said, quote, we needed to get our experience and polish our skills at creating Kingdom Hearts games so that there was a proper preparation for a big title like Kingdom Hearts 3. It just happened that this preparation took the life cycle of the PS3, end quote. So what do you think about that quote, Kyle? <laughs> <laughs> I don't... You you just got done making two Kingdom Hearts games. How do you not know how to make Kingdom Hearts games? Exactly, yeah. And then in that within that time from Kingdom Hearts 2, there have been, what, three, four spin-off oh games that have come out? There's... At least four, yeah. yeah. So there's, like... uh, there's, been, there's been Coded, there's been Dream, there's mm-hmm. been Birth, there's been 358 over two days. Yep. 358 days over two, I'm sorry. Yep. Um, so yeah, at least four, and then the various, you know, separate versions of that. So what's <laughs> weird? So what's weirder about... Okay, it's, <laughs> so, it's, it's, it's bullshit. Like, yeah. it's such... It's such it makes no sense. And also because, you know, even at the time of release, as highly regarded as it is by RPG fans, mm-hmm. Kingdom Hearts is not the biggest franchise in the world, you know what I no, mean? No, I like, would say Final Fantasy, in terms of Square oh, Enix, sure. Final Fantasy is far eclipsed sure. the fan base of Kingdom Hearts 3. So when, so when Nomura says, you know, we needed the proper preparation for a big title like Kingdom Hearts 3, no, just make the game, you yeah. know what I mean? Like, let don't, don't let the the threat of this blockbuster yeah. hang over your head that you're not worthy to start working on it yet. It All makes right. no sense to me. So let's um, uh, there's a there was a part part of that quote that prefaces that or there's an earlier part of that. So I'll go into that more cuz I just want to give a little more context to it. That was exactly what I wanted to get out of you though for that. So um but this one says before Nomura said the previous quote I just stated he said, quote, there wasn't a specific intention to skip a generation other than Kingdom Hearts being on a console has a very high bar to reach. Fans who love the series would want something even greater than Kingdom Hearts 2. Unfortunately, during that period, I didn't get the chance to start on a project that big and other key developers were working on other projects, he explained. So that's the end quote for that. So, so basically he said, basically the team behind the other Kingdom Hearts games kind of got split up with their different tasks at hand and they he wanted kind of that core group of people and he wanted to have the uh, he didn't have the opportunity himself to really kind of jump in and give the game what he just thought does the amount of time it deserved so you know what's you know what's crap about that too though is that yeah (laughs) yeah he did he was the creative director on versus 13 which was announced like right alongside the launch of ps3 basically with the chrysalis trilogy the uh Tabula Nova Crystallis trilogy. Mm-hmm. So yes, he did. He was working out, <laughs> supposedly working on a big game all that time. Although it remains to be seen what he was actually working on. For, right, and now, uh, yeah. And this, so this is the whole. Yeah, the whole thing just just strikes me as strange. It's pretty much I, just I, goes I, back to Square Enix being Square Enix. It's kind like, of. That's and, kind and of. It's, and it's one of these things where okay, now that and and actually, um, Final Fantasy Fifteen is suffering from this a little bit too. I think is that mm-hmm. there's this. By all means, Square, talk to fans more. Put your developers front and center. Have them give more quotes about the games. You know, keep us in the loop. Have there be a better drip feed of news. But there's a there's a limit to that. Mm-hmm. I feel like it, it's almost like every other week there's some quote 
pulled from a magazine that's that's just meaningless like this. And that goes for both games, FF15 and Kingdom Hearts 3. So it's almost like these guys are out there talking to press because they feel like they have to and there's nothing to say. So you just get this you just get this <laughs> this um this 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 filth, this this meaningless this drivel that doesn't make any sense and, yep. and contradicts history. <laughs> it's just lies basically on a paragraph. Yep. Uh, so it's like why just you know by all means, be more communicative, but maybe save that for like these th- these bursts of of information. You know, let's let's have a new world reveal in October. Let's show you another gameplay video in January. Let's and and then let's accompany those with quotes of substance and things that tell us things. Yeah. So no, it's just, it's just, it's just Nomura, though. Yeah, and um, now he's well, uh, he's also well, the director for. Well, he's he's orig- he does the concept and character design for fifteen. Yes, that's what he's working on, and he's also now director of the Final Fantasy VII remake. Yeah, so it's just like <laughs> yeah, but we're gonna hear about that later. It's gonna whatever they say at the time. It's gonna be, you know we've always wanted to do this, but it was about the technology making it possible. It's like no, you didn't want to always do this. Yeah, that's said on like... numerous occasions, <laughs> uh, tarnish the legacy of the game by admitting defeat and like you couldn't make another game that was better than it so you're bummed that you have to go back like it's just love or hate him I, I, I tend to lean more toward love actually I think you yeah. know, it's created some of my favorite characters in all of, of my gaming life but yeah, and he says some weird shit sometimes Nomura <laughs> says the darndest things that sounds like a sitcom <laughs> should be just be a thing yeah so <laughs> so yeah that's cancel the powers. cancel powers after season 2 and New ne- new show on PlayStation Store. Uh, Nomura says the darndest things. Yeah. <laughs> All right. So that was the that was our news for Kingdom Hearts three for this week. <laughs> we'll see what happens in the future for that. It wasn't really too much news. Anyway, let's move on to something a little bit more positively framed. That was <laughs> with games that we two of the games that we actually got to review this uh, past week. Yeah, which were well, we'll start with yours, which is the Uncharted collection, which is I've yes, been seeing commercials yeah, for it everywhere, and there's lots of news about it, and yeah, pretty positive uh, stuff. And I'd say that you had the similar kind of reaction, but you had you said that it was a very positive thing, but it had you had some reservations on it for experienced Uncharted fans. Yeah, so this kind of is going to be a nuanced conversation about the game, and it kind of has to be because any time that you make um, what could seem a bloviest statement like 60 FPS is not necessarily an improvement. You sort of have to qualify that, as I discovered in the in the comments section of that review. So, so yeah, um, let's start with everything that's great about the collection. Um, first of all, Blue Point Games are remastering Wizards, right? They've done excellent PlayStation collections before. Uh, among those, the God of War 3 HD remaster is a Blue Point production. The, the Metal Gear Solid. Oh, that's right. Yep, they did them. Two and three in Peace Walker. Um, the God of War collection, the Eco Shadow of the Colossus collection. Yep. These guys are, I mean, they, they know their PlayStation games, they know their PlayStation history, and they know how to remaster these games. And for a trilogy as highly revered as Uncharted, anything less would be um, uh, falling short, you know, would be. Um, not giving it its due, so yeah. If you're, they, they were the good, they were the obvious choice outside of Naughty Dog themselves to remaster this. Yes, so. absolutely. That that is yes, one hundred percent correct. Mm-hmm. So everything that's great about the collection at 1080p and with 
upgraded textures across the board, upgraded character models, better lighting in all three games, um, improvements to aiming that went live with the day one patch. Far and away, the games look spectacular. Frequently, there are moments in the games where they could be seen as native PS4 titles. The only reason that someone like me would, would not think that is because, well, we've seen what Uncharted 4 looks like. Mm-hmm. But if without that as context, I mean, straight up, like there are moments in 2 and 3 especially that are just par for the course on PlayStation 4. They look incredible. Um, so that's obviously a huge plus. It's great having all the games in one place as well. And with the little uh, technicalities of the remaster, Bluepoint nails this as well. You can jump into any of the three games from within the same app. You don't have to exit the game, go back into it to get into the title menu and then choose a different game. You can change settings for the games in bulk, like from the title menu. You can change things like subtitles and aiming sensitivity across the board and mm-hmm. then make smaller changes in once you dive into a specific game. Um, obviously, you've got all the unlocks and stuff like that. The photo mode is, is huge, and that's been something that we've seen in several games now, Drive Club, Infamous, it's definitely it's definitely heavily featured in, in PlayStation 4 exclusives, but mm-hmm. it's never been more fully featured than it is in the Uncharted collection. Okay. You got everything from... Sorry, go ahead. No, I was, yeah, I was just going to say, so like, if you just explain what photo mode actually is so that people who yeah. don't know because like i personally i've never really experienced photo mode in any game so sure i know yeah. what it's about basically but yeah it's um so at any moment mostly any moment you can pause the action and essentially take control of a like a developer camera right mm-hmm. so you can swing the camera around nathan drake in ways you wouldn't normally be able to zoom in and out shift it left and right rotate all those kind of things you can apply color filters uh, you know, widescreen bars, um, make things blurrier or clearer, okay. bump up certain elements of contrast, just do all kinds of things to set up a really excellent looking screenshot, you know, like a moment you want to capture, a really cool action shot, whatever whatever it might be, right? And I actually had more fun, or almost, I guess, more fun using it to kind of just ex- not explore an environment, but there were several moments when I'd go into photo mode, which instantly pauses the action, and just kind of rotate around and, and appreciate the environments that Naughty Dog had built. Yeah. Like, there are moments in Uncharted 1, and, you know, of course, the classic Uncharted script of, of climbing these epic structures, and the camera will zoom way out to show you the most epic view possible as you're climbing. Mm-hmm. So you never really get to see, for example the action from a different angle where it might show some other part of the structure that you couldn't see before or what's underneath or on the other side of the wall of this house. Right. Uh, so did that, the, so doing that kind of stuff, did you actually find any kind of behind-the-scenes areas that you saw with that? Because a lot of, like, not only would those shots be purposely set up in the game so you'd get the best view or the coolest kind of angle, but I'd, I'd imagine that there were some areas behind or around that weren't necessarily fully... Right, right. Finished or rendered because there was no focus there and it was all focused the other way. So, If anything, that was was the pleasant surprise is finding out that, oh, yeah, this is actually pretty fully rendered, um, better than you would think it is, you know? Yeah. Um, so that was definitely a pleasant surprise. I wouldn't say that I found any, you know, cool Easter eggs or, holy shit, there's a whole village behind here. Um, right. But definitely it was, it always kind of, it, it just further cemented an appreciation I have for Naughty Dog's attention to detail the care they put into their environments, and 
I, I can't say enough good things about the upgraded textures in this game. So that's so often a thing with 1080p remasters of last-gen games is that it, it fills your, your widescreen TV really well, your big-screen TV really well. You know, there's maybe good aliasing, you don't get the jaggies, but you look around and, oh, there's this texture here that looks blurrier than it used to because it's been blown up or sure. you know, just certain things haven't aged well. But, you know, the, the classic thing that I would do when I first played these games on PS3 is every so often I would stop to, you know, look down at the ground or look at just how much detail was put into a wall or some, some grass or some gravel. And I almost find myself doing that anew in the remastered games because across the board the textures have just been upgraded there's just more detail there and it's a lot mm -hmm. like the Kingdom Hearts uh, 1 HD remaster where they just repainted some textures because they recognized that they were going to look bad at 10 sure yeah it's definitely the same thing here so character models have benefited you know Uncharted 2 always had those kind of uh, not creepy eyes, but there was like an. They were glossed over. Yeah, they were weird. very glossy and, and strange. They like, looked like they were painted almost. <laughs> like yes. it was just kind of. And that's not even a thing anymore. The eyes look totally natural, like they did in three, mm -hmm. and the character models in one have. They're just they're, there's something there. It's either the detail of Nathan Drake's stubble, or the, the the eyes themselves being a little bit upgraded and having kind of the shiny membrane and all these things. We're, we're diving into the intricacies, if only to highlight how amazing the games have always looked and the fact that they look visibly, demonstrably better now. So coming around to it now, I think it's, I think it's fair to make the proclamation that it's the best way to play all three single-player campaigns, especially if you haven't done it before. Like sure. if, if, and, and, and as we, you, know, you mentioned, we were talking about this earlier, Another news story we didn't get time for is Naughty Dog has said there are eighty percent of PS4 owners haven't played the Uncharted games. Yeah, which, which is a, that's just a it's like almost absurd crazy. to think about when <laughs> people like us who are, have been following PlayStation for years <laughs> and like those are such a big part of our game like our gamer history. Yes, yes. And it's just to think that that's omitted from eighty percent of PS4 owners' repertoire. If anything, if anything that figure just highlights. Even better than knowing how many units the system has sold, that figure yeah. almost highlights to me how how well it's selling and how many new people. Yeah, have and just like how improved Sony has been, like become versus the PS3 generation, like as just a company. Yeah, and knowing how to reach out to gamers and giving them what they want to like to have that huge of a migration kind of coming over that much of cross buying of systems. So no question about it, if you haven't played Uncharted before by all means, get the Nathan Drake collection. It's fantastic, and having all three adventures in one place, it's, it's, it's the way to play it in a modern age, for sure. Mm -hmm. Now I get into the, the subtleties. So I want to so I, I qualify it by saying, if you're a diehard Uncharted fan, if you've played 1, 2, and 3 back to front multiple times over, if you've platinumed any one of them, or at least been on the hunt for it in the past... The, the collection is less compelling. Like, it just is. Part of that is because you don't get the multiplayer modes. And that's not going to be a big deal to some people, and that's not even the highlight of Uncharted. It's always been the single-player adventures. It's always been Nathan Drake exploring and puzzle-solving and, and these cinematic yeah. set-piece moments. Like that, that wouldn't be such a big deal for the most part, but you can still play multiplayer on the, other, on the yes. original games. Like, if, that, if those servers had been shut down... Nobody would really care, 
but that isn't such a minor thing considering that those servers are still running for a lot of people who right like because that those multiplayers were like the the modes on two and three were like surprisingly well received and really well done like yeah i loved i loved uncharted 3 multiplayer i played the beta for dozens of hours put dozens more into the final game mm-hmm. it's definitely not why i come to uncharted but the multiplayer suites were fantastic yeah. and, and critically acclaimed so not having in, in the collection especially since it's becoming more common to bring that multiplayer over and i'm specifically thinking of grand theft auto 5 for one is right. bigger on is bigger on ps4 than it ever was on ps3 and then two, I mean, the Master Chief Collection is another great example of porting all the multiplayer modes over. You know, that game has problems. It's still kind of a technical mess from what I hear a year yeah. later. But still, it can be done. And so then it's a question of, okay, I imagine it's time and resources. I'm not going to dwell on why the multiplayer isn't here. But regardless, right. it's a negative. And if you already own all three games on PS3 that have some of those multiplayer modes still intact... The, the collection is has less value because of it. It's less of a value proposition. Yep. The, the other reason you might not be tempted to upgrade, uh, and this is really getting into kind of the subtleties of the conversation, all three games have been upgraded to 60 frames per second alongside the 1080p boost. And I, and there's, this is a difficult issue to talk about because there's two sides to this camp. And that's probably reflected in the way The Last of Us Remastered had an option for both 30 frames and 60 frames. Mm-hmm. So there's clearly two camps here that need to be catered for. And there's a, and there's a couple balls to juggle. On, on the one hand, Uncharted is, is a very filmic series. And what I mean by that is it borrows conventions from Hollywood, not just in its set-piece moments and in the way characters talk and in the way it's a serial adventure, but just in the way the action is framed and how the action feels. It's one of the closest things we have to an interactive blockbuster, an interactive movie. Yeah. And I didn't realize how much, how important 30 frames per second was to that until I played it in 60 and experienced some cutscenes that just feel kind of weird now. There's yeah. definitely the ultra-smooth motion that you get with some 120 hertz TVs, you know, the soap opera, the soap opera effect is, is what we'll refer to it as. Mm-hmm. The whole game isn't like that. By and large, the gameplay feels fantastic for being 60 frames per second, but then you hit a cutscene, and it looks janky. Or then you hit the moments in Uncharted 3 where Drake... I won't spoil anything about Uncharted 3, but there are surreal, hallucinogenic-type moments, and those feel especially weird at 60 frames per second. Like, really, really fake and awkward. It turns into a game and not as much of a movie. Yes, exactly, exactly. And that's great, when it's a game, but Uncharted isn't always a game. It's sometimes yeah. a movie, it's sometimes a, a cinematic, and, and that's when the 60 FPS across the board, it, it, it feels odd. I would almost, honestly, I would almost prefer it if the gameplay was 60 FPS, and if they if they bumped it down to 30 for like the cutscenes and certain moments, like yeah. the Uncharted 3 um, surreal moments, surreal levels. Um, so... So there's that, and 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 I, and, I, and I kind of strike this middle ground because to me, the the, per, the perfect world would have been 60 FPS gameplay, and then in 30 FPS in moments where it matters, like the set pieces, or they would have just given you an option to flip back and forth, like in The Last of Us Remastered. But the fact of the matter is, it's 60 across the board. Generally, that's an improvement, but in my mind, and as a personal preference, 
it isn't always the better way of doing it. And Uncharted mm-hmm. 4, or excuse me, the Nathan Drake collection feels a bit less cinematic because of it. Yeah. So, and I would agree with you from just, I only played the demo of it, but I had that same feeling when I got to cutscenes and even in uh, watching some Let's Plays of it myself. It's, yeah, It loses its kind of its effectiveness as a movie, like you were saying, yeah. So. Or just as, yeah, as an experience where you feel like you're the interactive viewer. I, I felt more like a gamer than an interactive reviewer, or an interactive spectator. Yeah. If that makes any kind of sense. Just sure. trying to describe the, the the aesthetic of it. So, so that's what so that's what you know. It was a fun review to write, and it was a fun God. It was a fun time to go back and play those games. That's the other thing I kind of want to touch on is that it was an interesting history lesson, not because it like changed my opinion of the games or kind of cast them in a new light. They're still very good. Um, they still, in my mind, improve with each installment. Where you can bounce back and forth between two or three, and which elements you like more of one or the other. Sure. But I can see, I can, I can point to distinct things that did objectively improve between the three games, and so it's an interesting history lesson for that. But also because it just shows how Naughty Dog did its process. Like the jump from one to two to play those games back to back is mind blowing. Yeah, and, and then was, was it two years only? That they were able to do that. Yeah, I think that's right. Yep, two years. So uh, it, it's it's so that's going to be really interesting for people who's never who've never played the games before to have that kind of jump and be like, yeah, this was the same studio, two years apart each time, and just you know bear witness to it, bear witness to how dramatic how Naughty Dog found its craft as a studio, like right there in the years between one and two, it just took off. You know yeah. what I mean? Um, but yeah, that's not to say, I mean, all the games are still excellent, they're still a lot of fun. I did face some frustrations where, you know, I've definitely lost some of my my mental memory or my muscle memory with those games over the years, and so right. the parts that used to be second nature to me, like, sometimes I'll pause and go, oh, wait, where, how does this puzzle work again, or um, where did I have to go in this room? And mm-hmm. then I, you know, I bash my head a bit against some of the the set-piece moments that felt really elegant, at the time that they came out, um, you know, fans will know what I mean when I point to Uncharted 2's train sequence. Yep. But now today, as 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 studios have gotten better at these kind of elegant blockbuster moments, Uncharted 2 and 3 feel a bit less elegant today than they did. You might, you know, you know, you might get yourself caught in a death loop of like, oh god, why isn't this working the way it should? Or why am I getting killed when this is clearly a moment where I'm supposed to be Running and it's cinematic, mm-hmm. and I'm not really supposed to die, but yet somehow I'm dying. Uh, yeah, so you kind of bash your head against that a little bit. So, yeah, uh, it's an interesting history lesson for that, and 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 we can see how far Naughty Dog has come in its craft, and also how far adventure games have come since even as recently as Uncharted 2. Great. Well, I think yeah, that's a <laughs> great summation of your review, and everybody should go check it out too on PSU if you haven't already to get Kyle's complete thoughts on the yeah game, and we'll have that linked in the description of or linked in the article along with this video continuing the theme of games that we've reviewed i was able to do the review for the talos principle mm-hmm. which came out and it was a game that i honestly it, it it's come out it came out last year in 2014 on pc yes and on android and ios i think too which was kind of surprised to me but um so it came out last year and it got a lot of it was really well received 
and it's made its first console debut, or it's going to make its first con- console debut on PlayStation 4 on October 13th. And I didn't know anything about this game. It got thrown up to ask for a review, somebody to review it. I looked at the description of it, and I was like, oh, that sounds pretty cool, I'll check it out. And it totally just completely took me by surprise. Yeah, yeah. So it was something that was really cool, and it's so... Based, the premise of the Talus Principle is that it's a puzzle game, is what a lot of people would say, that it's a puzzle game that has kind of a deep philosophical storyline that has a lot of cool in, back and forth between the player and then like uh, conversations that happen in the game. And But for me, personally, I th- it felt far more like a like a philosophical crash course on like existentialism and morality and the ideas of consciousness and it uses sure. the puzzles to go through that which is just like I've never had a game that did has done that before and now, go to you that say, depth. so you say that the puzzles helped drive some of those philosophical concepts and the puzzles am I correct in in, in kind of what you're saying that the puzzles actually benefited the story in a way and I'm curious well the puzzles how that is without spoiling too much. well the puzzles don't exactly go with the, the 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 puzzles are kind of their own separate entity in terms of how the story goes okay. what they are used for is like well, the gameplay is very much like the portal games okay in terms of like there's a big environment you're a in this in this game you're a robot okay that is going through the world picking up objects moving so there's like boxes that you put on pressure plates and there's uh, signal jammers that are like these kind of tripods with a big kind of camera looking thing on it where you pick it up and you can aim it at a, a some kind of barrier and you can disable it or other things and you just kind of go through that. Uh, one of the ways that it kind of it underlyingly connects with the story's theme which is really cool and one of my favorite aspects of the game is that they don't give you a tutorial at all. The whole game is about just like figuring out how to go. So first off, I'll preface with how it initially starts, is that you open into this world, you, sp- you start the game, and then you have this scene that is just like this shot above the clouds, and then there's like this computer log information basically kind of coming up on the screen, saying it's booting up these processes, and then mm-hmm. it goes into this, and then it says uh, starting child process, and then it says ready, and then you wake up, and you're in this garden, and all this this kind of like this ancient Greek ruins, basically, and then you hear this voice come booming in, and this guy who identifies himself as Elohim, which is another wor- another word or name for God that's usually associated. And he basically talks about you are his creation, and you are designed to prove you you must prove yourself worthy to enter his temple and to progress and by solving these puzzles that have been thrown into the world, and you have to collect these things called sig- sigils which are basically Tetris-shaped blocks. And you collect those. Those are all at the end of each puzzle, and you go and you collect a sum, and then you can bring them back and use them on faceplates on these different gates, and you basically arrange the shapes to fit into, like, a square, and then the gate will open and you can move on. So that's kind of... So that it's used. the puzzles are used more as a tool just to kind of keep you going through the area, and they're not... In all honesty, they're probably the low point of the game, for the most part. I personally found them to be. I, I would never. I wouldn't call them challenging until maybe like eighty percent through the game. 
Okay, for, sure. For me, I mean, I do a lot of puzzle stuff in my spare time and puzzle games that I really like. So, I don't know how much of that is just me being kind of used to doing that kind of stuff, or if it they really are that simple. Yeah, I'm sure that's I'm sure that's part of it. But, but they still. get they get they start to really shine and become really imaginative and complex towards the end of the game, and especially in its expansion, which is called the Road to Gehenna which is added in the deluxe edition, which is what the game that comes on PS4 is. And that itself is its own... It's like a perfected sequel more than an expansion. And it's like a full... It has like the amount of play, same amount of playtime as the core game. So it's a really good value for that. Um, so would you say... So would you say the narrative alone makes it essential? Because it sounds like the puzzles are kind of a hit-and-miss thing, and you're either going to... Love them. Well, you're either gonna love them, like them, or hate them. So I guess we yeah. should have an opinion about. So them. the puzzles. Well, they're, what's they're the, the what's highlight. cool about the puzzles, though, is that even though they're not necessarily challenging, I constantly found myself to challenge myself as I was doing them. Meaning, like to see how fast I can get through these and how fast I can move through. Because there's a, there are different areas. So there's like, let's see. So there's there's three different temples that you can go to, and each temple has a doorway numbered one through seven and you go in through one so if you go in through one door number one and temple one which is where you start the game there's about seven different sigils that you can collect within that so there's seven different puzzles within that there's about like i think that's about consistent with each room so there's like seven puzzles within each doorway Mm. so there's i mean that's just a there's a huge number of them so you can't you would you wouldn't expect them to all be like super complicated just to get through the different areas. There's a lot of them that are optional though, until that you can go back to later and get. But for me personally, I played through it where I was going to get every single sigil in every single area before I moved on to the next. So as the game got like as the game started out, it was basically how fast can I collect all of these sigils and get through the puzzles, and then it moved on to as it got a, got more difficult. It was, I am not going to leave this room until I figure out this puzzle because it's stump <laughs> like, I can't, like, it was just one of those things where it's like, I was going to finish this, and I'm not going to move on. Because you can leave rooms and you can move on, you can come back, you can do whatever, but they were, it was extremely addictive. Like, I pretty, I played the entire game in two sittings. So it's like, it wasn't like I wasn't having fun or enjoying it. It was just, it was became addictive. It's really, it's kind of hard to explain without somebody without actually playing it yourself but it's just it's got a lot of cool it's very imaginative in how it approaches the puzzles and the terms of types of mechanics and stuff but the overlying theme of the game is basically like you have to prove that you are worthy enough to get through the game is kind of like how it is set up so you that's what i liked about not having a tutorial which it doesn't explain anything ever and you're constantly learning how to interact with your environment as you go through the game. Like, no matter how far you are, there's always, like, a new way, like, oh, I can actually do this, and this works. Yeah. And it's those kind of things. But the story, basically, what adds to that a lot more is that there are these random computer terminals in the world that you can interact with. And it's managed by this program, which is called the Milton Library Assistant. And you discover that as you play through the game, you learn about the history of the world and why you came into being and what happened before you. And it's like immediately comes, it shows immediately is told to you that basically you're part of a experiment. Like you were designed from this research lab 
that's trying to kind of explore the idea of artificial intelligence and going through that and you learn more about that as the game progresses and you interact with this Milton library assistant and he basically starts questioning morality and consciousness and goes through and basically its whole point the whole job of that is just to be a pain in the ass and point out all of your flaws and logic is kind of like the whole thing okay so it's a really interesting thing and it's like it, it has kind of like in a Mass Effect or games like that where it's got predetermined choices that you can have for your discussion back and forth. Um, I said in my review too is that like I I consider myself to be a student of philosophy where like I I'm far from anywhere near an expert on any kind of topic in it. Well, but you've studied I, it. I mean, but I've yeah, I've studied it and I've that. yeah and I've known like I figure I can hold my own when discussing some of the core concepts of it, and it's. I've never had a game specifically that has had me like force forced me to be introspective on some kind of philosophical idea and like stopped me in my tracks to really think about how I was going to answer something. It's just it was just totally surprised me and shocked me and it just was a really cool experience like it's it's something that sh- to me it proves that games are starting to reach a certain maturity and level of just like intelligence along with it besides being like really highly entertaining and cool set pieces and that kind of stuff it's deep reaching far deeper intellectually now than it ever has been so it's just right. a, it's just a really cool experience and it was it gets better as you go along and it's a lot of it is just like it's you by yourself and all you're doing is reading text from this terminal and you can there's other documents that are associated with the terminals like historical documents emails web chats from people before you or even like there's quotations from philosophers like Nietzsche and stuff which is like I've never seen that in a game so that's just a kind of a cool thing for me anyway who's really into philosophy to see that but then the road to Gehenna basically kind of takes a total 180 in terms of how your goal of the game or how it's approaching and then that has its own unique spin to it that has a I don't really want to talk about it because I want people to play through the first game and then be surprised by what happens in that because it's takes the game to a whole different level in a different direction that it just keeps you constantly interested so it's I don't know it's I've been rambling a lot about it because I don't want to spoil too much because one it's a puzzle game and the one of the best features of it is the conversations I had sure sure so I think so. The, I think the, the the through line then is it going to be is it going to be a must it sounds like a must have for people with any even a passing interest in philosophy because it's a very s- solid yeah mechanical game with a lot of really interesting story concepts but is it a must play uh, let's let's say me right yeah. I enjoy I enjoy first person narratives you know some of my favorite games yep. uh, or most most meaningful games have been uh, things like Gone Home and the Stanley Parable and sure. the Vanishing of Ethan Carter. But I don't really have a particular interest in philosophy. I'm very open to a game telling me about it, right? But I don't have a. I'm I'm not coming in with that inkling. So is it still a must-have for someone like me? And is it still a must-have? I, I think it should be required. It should be required by everyone to play. Like personally, I would think really. That it's it's one of those games where it's like. You may not be as passionate about it as, say, I am, but it has that educational value to it, and it has that expansion of thinking that you're not exposed to otherwise in a lot of games. 
and it's it doesn't force feed you the f concepts and it doesn't tell you its philosophy it doesn't go into all this kind of stuff it approaches it in a very friendly way for people that might not say like say if i said this game is a, all about philosophy and it's really cool or it's a it's all philosophy there's going to be a lot of people who are like i don't like philosophy's conversation or i don't like that stuff or whatever and they're just going to be automatically turned off by it but for people who like philosophical discussions and ideas it's a really great game for kind of like enthusiasts i guess in that kind of regard but it's a game that it forces you to challenge yourself ideologically and it has a lot of self-introspection that or like well that's redundant there's a lot of introspection of the player when you're going through it that it doesn't i've never had that happen before in a game mm, and it mm. just it's it's a it's a great uh stepping stone in terms of the development and kind of the creative approaches to games that i think is just, it's relevant historically in terms of game history so it's well anytime somebody calls a game required reading I immediately take notice I mean that's it's 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 not something I know that you would say lightly so I'm very intrigued to play it yeah and, and it's, it sounds right up my alley you know I'm just getting off of Vanishing of Ethan Carter and I reviewed everybody's gone to the rapture uh, earlier this summer and had some 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 reservations about it so mm -hmm. I'm definitely ready for something that really blows my mind in the first-person narrative department. Yeah, so it's the, it's definitely the strongest in that regard too, and it's uh, part of it too is that like I really like kind of the atmosphere that it sets up, where it's about kind of religious inspirations, and it goes into a lot of that kind of stuff. And even the the main theme at the start menu is a Gregorian chant that goes on, so it's uh, like <laughs> it's got a really cool atmosphere to it that isn't available in a lot of other games. So yeah, cool, cool. I think it's a good thing that people, everybody, should check it out. And it's only forty dollars, which is cheaper than most full console exclusive or not. It's not an exclusive full console games. Yeah, and it basically comes with its own sequel built into it. So it's it's definitely well worth the buy. I would say if you're looking for a cool game. Cool. Yeah, so. I'll, be, I'll I'll look at it. I'll. I'm going to take a look for sure. Yeah. So we're going to end this podcast listing off games that you can look forward to for the coming week. Mm -hmm. That's going to be coming out. In, uh, this is going to be for October, starting on October 12th through the 16th. are going to be the games that are coming out this week. First on the list is Witcher 3 The Wild Hunt DLC. And that's the last one on the list because that's the only one you're ever going to need to play. <laughs> <laughs> so that's going to be, it's formally yeah. titled Hearts of Stone. Kyle yes. has been playing The Witcher a lot. Yeah, I've been re I've been replaying it because I, I reviewed it back in May. And, um, I mean, right now it's it's still probably my, my game of the year candidate over Metal Gear Solid Five in, in a close second. And I, I, I stand by what I said in my original review of The Witcher 3 and saying it is one of the definitive RPGs of our time, and really just a, a modern masterpiece. Like, mm -hmm. it's it's that good. CD Projekt Red continues to support it with the kind of devotion, uh, the kind of free content updates, the free frame rate improvements, graphical improvements. They just released a patch, Will, that is 15 gigabytes inside. Oh, God. And that's foremost on the line, but the thing is, it's not a game that needed that. You know what I mean? This isn't a game that right. was like, broken and non-functioning there's just it's just that big i mean hundreds and hundreds of hours of content carefully crafted quests rich rich narrative and hearts of stone my hope and and from what it sounds like through early review impressions 
kind of continues that trend, so I'm, I'm so excited. Next up is going to be Dragon Quest Heroes, the world's trees, woe, and the blight below <laughs> platforms. There's the blight below. So was, it's that gonna... the, was that the subheading? Was that the whole... Yeah, Dragon Quest yeah. Heroes, the world, trees, woe, and the blight below, and it's coming out on PS4, and on so... October 13th. I have, the... I have almost, I have, I have, I have less than nothing to say about Dragon Quest Heroes. I yeah. love Dragon Quest Eight. I mean, I, I, I enjoy the games as, as a, as a RPG touchstone in the industry. Yeah. But, I mean, yeah. it looks from screenshots and stuff. It looks like a quirky, cool kind of JRPG. But yeah, I don't know. It'd be interesting to see. I think do we have someone reviewing that? Oh, yeah, I think, I think we, we do. Someone. Yeah, so we got somebody on that. So you'll so see our review for that coming out. Yes. Yeah. All right, and then Minecraft Story Mode Episode 1 is going to be coming out on October 13th on PS4 oh. and PS3. And this is the series this that is, is coming. It's being developed by uh, Telltale Games. Yeah. Uh, here's my confession. I'm a little telltale out at this point. Yeah. They've, um, done, they, oh, they've done a lot of work. <laughs> yes, they've done a lot of work, and, it's, and they've, they've not left any breathing room between their series. But I guess, you know... It, this is this is a weird case for me because if it was any other developer, you know, you wouldn't see this many releases. But the fact is, they can do these kind of episodic stories much faster. They can turn them around a lot quicker. Yeah. And to be fair, I haven't played uh, a Telltale series through since um, The Walking Dead season two and The Wolf Among Us kind of side by side. So it's been a while since I've actually played a Telltale game. But I feel like because they're in the news so often. I'm still a little bit burnt out on it, you know, between yeah. Tales of the Borderlands and now Minecraft and, and Game of Thrones. Yeah, yeah, exactly. I hadn't even thought of Game of Thrones. Yeah, so, so it's they're busy people. So yeah, and most Minecraft doesn't doesn't interest me as a franchise anyway. Yeah, so, so it's, <laughs> it's it'll be interesting to see how they make a story out of it. But right, but right. yeah, I don't know. I'm kind of in the same boat. Uh, next up is Shovel Knight coming out on PS4. It's been out for a while on other systems. I know Shovel Knight is great. It's it's criminal that I haven't I haven't played it yet, but yeah, it's one that everybody, whoever, everyone that's played it, I've never heard any bad things about it. They always exactly. say it's a great, classic kind of inspired two D side scroller. So, mm-hmm. but so that's also coming out on the thirteenth. All of these games are coming out the thirteenth. Same as oh look at that, the Talos Principle Deluxe Edition, as I said before, yes. coming out thirteenth. Required reading. You already heard it. a lot. Yeah, I already said a lot about that. Uh, Wasteland 2 Director's Cut is coming out on PS4 for North America and Europe on October yep. 13th uh, and October 16th, respectively. Our review of that is coming along, too. Um, and I think Wasteland on console is, uh, is, an, is an interesting idea. It's, a, it's, it's, a, it's something you definitely would not have seen until this generation when the PC console barrier is just getting blurrier and blurrier. So yeah. uh, more power to you. I think it's going to, you know, open some eyes to a little bit of gaming history, which I know Wasteland has a soft spot in a lot of people's hearts. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, th- it's, it's, it's low on, on my personal priority list. True. And Wasteland 2 is going to be, or it is a post-apocalyptic role-playing game, and it looks like it's a top-down kind of playing experience. So Yeah, yeah very, very strategic and hardcore strategy game. Yep. All right. And on October 16th in Europe, but then on October 20th, for the U.S. is Tales of Zestria, which is coming out on PS4 and PS3. So I have not played any of the Tales games. I know that there are a number of people on our team who are just fanatics of the franchise. 
So, but yeah, I don't know. I don't. I know you've at least seen an, um, a good amount of gameplay of the Tales games. I don't know if you've played any of those or if you're what, what you think about Tales sure. of Zestria. Well, you know, Tales of Zelio is is the one that I really dove in on, and I really enjoyed that on PS3. It's not you know in my top even five or top ten RPGs I've ever played, but definitely a, a solid one, a solid RPG. Uh, and I'm looking forward to Zestiria. Um, our review of that's coming along as well. Uh, and, you know, it's it's one of those things where I, I can feel myself very soon wanting a JRPG to play. I kind of shift between genres in that way, and it's it's about time for the hour hand to come along and land on JRPG, and that's <laughs> going to be the one. So I can, I can, I'm definitely going to be checking it out before the end of the year, before we get to game of the year voting. All right. And then another game, October 16th. This is only in Europe. WRC 5 on PS4, PS3, and Vita. So it's a rally racing experience and it's the fifth entry in World Rally Championships. So I did not know anything about this game. <laughs> so <laughs> honestly, I don't know. It's a rally racer sounds cool. It's obviously it's not coming here, so yeah. neither of us are going to be able to play it, but right. it'd be interesting to see it come over to the States so you can try out. Uh, rally racing games aren't very, there aren't a lot of them, so it's it's kind of interesting that they decided not to bring it over here. But mm-hmm. all right, and that does it for this coming October week in games. All right, so those are all the things you week. could. Yeah, Very there's a week. lot of stuff coming out, which is kind of surprising. So you'll be able to look forward to all those games and decide what you want. I personally highly encourage Talos Principle, which will be coming out on the 13th. And if you haven't played the Nathan Drake collection yet, it's out now. Uh, if that's if that's up your alley, it's. It comes highly recommended, despite my small but not insignificant reservations. It's an excellent collection. Yeah. All right. So those are the games you get to look forward to, and that's this has been the first episode of our Wake Forest podcast series. Yes. Thanks for the conversation, Will. Yeah. Thank you for joining me, Kyle. <laughs> so we'll have more news that we'll talk about and inform you about the PlayStation stuff going on in the future, and we'll see you guys in the next episode. Yep, take care. Take Thanks care. Thanks for watching.